Hi there, my name is Adam Waters, and I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Bible Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. I'm just so glad that you made the decision to take us along with you this week on life's journey. Here at Grace Bible Church, we are a family of faith who seeks forgiveness, healing, and hope in Jesus Christ. Now, we might all come from different backgrounds, but each of us recognize that the tremendous needs in our lives point us to one place, to God, for His answers, His provision, and mostly, for His grace. I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. We're at the start of another busy school year. I don't know how many posts on Facebook that I saw that basically were summed up by a parent in this. Yes. Back to times of peace during the day, a rhythm again, structure again that kids have lost so much. We talk about all of our offerings that we're starting out here in the new ministry season. We say a whole list of them. I got to the staff meeting on Tuesday where we normally go over my message, the points, the content. They give me ideas. It's my first opportunity to work things through, and I had nothing for them. Why, do you ask? Because I was so busy the previous week that I couldn't prepare the way that I hoped to have prepared for that day. And what's funny is we're talking about rest. It was such an, it was just emblematic of the very nature of the world we live in. We're constantly moving. We're constantly doing something. If we're not, we're thinking something. We're constantly trying to do more, fit more in. There's something that I've heard once, uh, um, schedule righteousness. It's the Uh, sense of someone being able to say that I'm okay and things are okay with me and my world because I'm so busy, because I'm so productive. There have been times I've held my own phone up. I said, look at all of these things I have to get done. And somehow, in some subtle way, recognize there was a pride there. We are overburdened with unnecessary things that we tell ourselves we must do in order to ensure that our lives, the lives of our children, the lives of our world are unhindered by anything that could even closely relate to suffering or inconvenience. So we work harder to afford a life that can deliver the security and joy that this world says it has to offer, but in the end will always deliver something else in return. Usually distraction, fatigue, certainly not joy. This is why God has placed regular Sabbath rest into the very fabric of our creation. It's a gift to us. We're overworked and every survey and statistic could say, I could list them, but they all say the same thing. We're doing too much and for the wrong reasons. So this morning, we're going to do a sweep through Scripture, starting in Genesis 1 for the first half or so of the message. We're going to see how God has used the idea of Sabbath rest in all of the places, starting with Genesis. So if you have your Bibles, open uh, with me to Genesis 2. Like always, if you don't have them, it's okay. We have it up here on the screen, but you should bring your Bible. Genesis 2, verse 1. This is what it says. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy 
because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Starting from the very beginning, rest is built into how the creation was created. It is one of the fundamental principles of how God works when he created the universe. The very word Shabbat, we are Sabbath, is where we get it in the English, but Shabbat in the Hebrew means to cease from one's labors. So it says that God Sabbathed from all of his works. Why? Why did God rest? After those six days of creation, man being the pinnacle of that creation, why on the seventh day did God rest? Well, the job was done. We see from the very beginning God creates the heavens and the earth. He starts with a large palette. And as each day progresses through, he gets more narrow and more narrow, building a time and a place that he can fellowship with his creation, where he can celebrate and they can celebrate him. A temple of sorts, a garden temple. That kind of sounds pretty cool. That's where I want to live. And that's where we are promised to live one day in glory. God created everything for us to be with us. There's something special in that, something amazing in that. God blesses the seventh day and declares it holy. He declares his favor and flourishment upon it. Very interesting. This is the first time that God declares anything holy. For all the times throughout the scripture that God says, you shall be holy for I am holy, or this thing shall be holy and this thing shall be for common use, the very first thing he declares is time, a special time set aside unto him, the seventh day. As we move along through the scripture after the Exodus and the Jews are taken out of Egypt from their slavery, we read in Exodus 16, verse 23, this, Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid aside it, so they laid it aside till the morning, as Moses commanded them, and, they, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. What does that mean? This means that there were a, something called manna that came from heaven, a flake-like substance that fell without the Jews having to do anything, God providing bread from heaven and sustenance in their time throughout the wilderness. On the sixth day, they were to gather enough for both the sixth day and the seventh day. So a double portion. And if they did, and they didn't work, that portion would last through the seventh day. But if they tried to go out and get it, it would fester and stink and rot. So moving on, verse 25. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, that is the manna. But on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place and let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. God commanded a day of rest or a day of Shabbat to his people immediately after the Exodus. Just as God had made creation as a place to fellowship, 
to interact, to, to be worshipped by us, to love and be loved by us. As God pulls the Jews out of Egypt, in the Exodus, he's doing the same thing. He's pulling a people out and creating a time and a space, a holy time, in a holy space where he can interact with his people. This is the point of the tabernacle, the location of God's fellowship with man. Almost a repeat of the garden temple. He provided manna, bread from heaven, so they should have to do nothing. A double portion on day six, so that on the seventh day, they could rest and spend it with him. Refusal of this command led to putrefaction of the blessing. God reinforces to his people that he has given them the Sabbath, so they should take advantage of it. Moving on. God codifies his commandments into the written law through Moses at Mount Sinai just after this time in Exodus 20. And this is where we really understand the Sabbath is the part of the commandments. We hear it. It says, listen, verse 8, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner that is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth to see and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The command is to remember, the word is zachar. It means pay attention to. It means do not forget. It means keep your eyes focused on this truth, this command. Because we will, won't we? The command is tied back to creation. You were made for fellowship with God. You were made for a time that was set aside as holy and special unto him. For Jews, Shabbat is what they call it. Shabbat is a sign of God's covenant with them given at Sinai. The Jewish Shabbat begins at Friday on sunset. It ends Saturday on sunset. It's actually Friday when the first star can be seen until Saturday when the first star can be seen. So you can imagine that Saturday nights in Tel Aviv are popping because they just got off of seven days of doing nothing. It's actually pretty interesting. There's in a lot of places, there's a Jewish elevator and a Gentile elevator. You get into that elevator on Sabbath, the Jewish elevator is going to stop at every floor lest they have to press a button and kindle a fire. You get into the Gentile elevator, it goes straight up to whatever floor you want because you can pick which button it was. I got in one time to an elevator and there was a man, he was Orthodox Jew, he says, oh, you don't, you don't want to be in this elevator. And I thought at first it was like, why? Because I'm a Gentile? It's like, I don't, and he's like, no, you're going to be here forever. I have to stand here until the 25th floor. You should get out and go this one over here. <laughs> I said, I appreciate that. For us, and we'll learn more about this as we go through the message, Sabbath for us or Shabbat for us is now found in Christ. That we are not held to the same standard according to this as the Jews continue to be or hold themselves to today. The idea of Sabbath as a commandment has been absorbed by Jesus Christ. We'll talk more a little bit about that. So the Sabbath is given to the Jewish people in the Mosaic Law. They're also given prophets who are called to call people back to faithfulness to that Jewish law. As you read the prophets, that's what they're doing. They're either saying, stop disobeying the covenant. They're saying, return to the covenant. And if you don't, something bad's going to happen. Or they're saying, 
Something bad has just happened. God has punished us, is disciplining us, but there's going to be a day when everything is restored again. In the book of Amos, one of the first prophets, first one of the written prophets at least, both kingdoms were experiencing great prosperity. Businesses were flourishing. Land was flourishing. Everything was going great. But people were not living their lives with the heart, uh, eyes of their heart turned unto the Lord. As we read in Amos chapter 8, this is what Amos says to, to them. Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, when will the new moon be over in the Sabbath that we may sell grain? When's Sunday going to be done so we can start doing our business again? And the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great and deal deceitfully with false balances, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell chaff of wheat. You can see their hearts. Their hearts are geared towards doing what they want and accruing more and more, being inconvenienced by this day of rest that was intended to be a blessing, was intended to be a gift to them. In Isaiah, speaking mostly to the northern kingdom in the face of the Assyrian invasion, we read this, Isaiah 1.13, Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocation, so solemn gatherings. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. He's saying, here this day that I've blessed you with and given to you is being trampled on, is being profaned because your hearts are not right in it. You'll gather but your heart is not there. You're misseeing. You're misunderstanding what it is. Isaiah 58, 13. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure, that word there can actually mean business, and that's probably what it means here. This is the ESV. I'm not sure how yours is translated. Your business on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable. If you honor it, that is the Sabbath, not going your own ways, seeking your own business or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, and the mouth of the Lord has spoken. There's a blessing here. In the book of Jeremiah. In the face of the Babylonian invasion. Why? Is there another invasion? Because the Jews still didn't get it. Israel still did not understand that if they remained faithful to the covenant, God would protect them. This is to the southern kingdom in the face, like I said, of the Babylonian invasion. Chapter 17, verse 27. But if you do not listen to me to keep the Sabbath day holy and not to bear a burden and enter by the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire in its gates. It shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem and shall not be quenched. The prophet Ezekiel, the prophet of the pre or post exilic times, looked ahead to a glorious day when the Sabbath would be observed with joy and wholeheartedness. In the book of Nehemiah, when they come back from Babylon to, be, to start building the temple again and the walls surrounding the temple, we see the very first thing to go after everything has been blessed by God Sabbath rest. Almost immediately, they begin selling grain and trying to do business instead of taking the time that God has blessed them as a gift to interact with him and him alone. In the New Testament, we see a new idea. Jesus comes on the scene and he says some revolutionary things about Sabbath rest. First, Matthew 12, 8, he says, For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus had just been criticized for healing somebody on Shabbat. A miraculous healing. And the Pharisees said, you can't do that. 
he said, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. The one who commanded the Sabbath, that is God himself, is the one who gets to define what it means. Mark 2, 27. And Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The principle of a Shabbat or a one in seven rest for the benefit of the people was for the benefit of the people of God. But the Pharisees made it about rules and commandments and added things to God's gift of rest. Matthew eleven twenty seven. I'm going to be almost done here. Matthew eleven twenty seven. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal to him. So God the Father entrusted into God the Son the right to be or the Lord of the Sabbath. He handed it over to him. Come to me, all who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, we use this, this verse all the time to talk about, oh, life's so hard. I just, I don't come to Jesus, and that's true. But in context here specifically, he's talking about Sabbath commands. He's talking about everything the Pharisees added to the gospel of grace that you had to go above and beyond and do all of these things in order to be made right with God. Not true. God, by his grace, has made us right in Christ. So it's to him that we go. We lay down the burdens of seeking our own righteousness. Hebrews, 11, Hebrews 4, verse 9. Talking about the Sabbath and the Jews, the writer of Hebrews says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest, for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works just as God did from his. When we come to Christ by faith, we set aside our works as the basis for our righteousness, placing our trust wholly in him. When we do, we enter God's Sabbath. The book of Hebrews lays out how Christ is the ultimate and better fulfillment of everything the Old Testament pointed to. A better Moses, a better sacrifice, a better priesthood, a better Sabbath. Christ came in part to fulfill the law on our behalf. Because all the law could do was show that we are incapable of following it. Christ followed the law perfectly, that imputation, it's called, that righteousness is imputed upon us. All we have to do is receive it. We rest in him by faith. In the book of Revelation, that day of endless Shabbat, where we will rest finally from our laborers on this sin-sick earth and we will enjoy an eternity of fellowship, worship, in celebration of the King of kings and the Lord of lords who gave us, who is our Sabbath rest, Jesus. So, a sweep through Scripture. You're now all biblical theologians. So, what then, of everything we've read throughout the Scripture, does that mean for us today? What are some of the principles that we can apply to our lives? First, Sabbath rest is a gift from God. We look at Sabbath rest. We look at this time where we have to take time out. Some of us might celebrate it on a Sunday. Some of us might work on Sunday, and we need to celebrate it another time. The idea of a periodic time of rest dedicated unto the Lord is a gift that we should be taking advantage of. Humans were designed 
with Sabbath rest in mind. And this principle of rest precedes the giving of the law. I mean, necessity and experience bear out that we can get overworked, that we need to rest. We need time to recharge physically, cognitively, emotionally, spiritually. I mean, physically, we are chronically under-rested people. A couple things, I did some reading on this. It's like 200 years ago, first of all, we had these biphasic sleep cycles. This is just something a little on the side. We would go to sleep, sleep four or five hours, wake up at two in the morning, two, three in the morning, spend an hour or two awake, go back to sleep, sleep another four or five hours. Think about that time at night when everything's quiet. It's like I, I left after reading that article, I was like, oh, I'm setting my alarm for two in the morning because I need that quiet time. My body's craving. Is your body craving that quiet time? That time, no talking, no silence. All you parents with kids, I'm going to talk to you specifically at the end, okay? So don't, don't disregard everything I'm saying because like, yeah, you don't got kids. I'm going to talk to you about that. There's nothing like a nap. I mean like a real nap, not like a five-hour nap. That's checking out. Those are my naps. I'm talking about nap, 45 minutes, power nap. As God's children, we all need a timeout. It's true. We do way too much, pack way too much into our day, and refuse the opportunity to recharge ourselves in the presence of the Lord, sleeping unto the Lord. A.J. Jacobs, an author, wrote a book called A Year of Living Biblically, One Man's Quest to Follow the Bible as Literally as Possible. He tells a story that uh, one day he went into the bathroom in the morning, and for whatever reason, the doorknob jammed, and he's unable to get the door open. He's trapped in the bathroom. His wife left for work. His phone's outside of the bathroom. He has nothing. He's screaming through the door. He's trying to get the window open to scream out the window. He can't get out. Someone, we talked about this in a staff meeting. Someone's like, at least he got trapped in the bathroom. He could have been stuck out of the bathroom. He got trapped in the bathroom. He says that he was so frustrated. He had all these things to do. He's trying to get out. He has nothing. So what do you do? Think about it. If you got locked in the bathroom for eight, 10 hours with nothing to do, what would you do? After a while, he's like, I'm going to take a nap. Gets in the tub, lays out the, takes a nap. Afterwards, he realizes, I'm really enjoying my time here. And he starts to embrace this, I'm in the bathroom time. There's something about taking time out in our lives, sometimes by force, where we are forced to deal with what's going on inside, where we're forced to shut our brains off, where we're forced to just be. Several of us in the church had participated in a day-long prayer retreat. And, we, and it was eight hours long. And when I got informed that we were going to do this, I thought, eight hours of prayer. Now, I'm the pastor, and I know some of you think I like float when I walk, but eight hours of prayer feels impossible. We got together. We had these four breaks throughout the eight-hour day. They're about 15-minute breaks, but we spent two, two, like an hour and a half to two hours really just on your own with the Lord. You had a book, a journal, and you just prayed. By like the second time, second, you know, hour, hour and a half piece, it was like, I didn't want to go home. Like this was like what I was made for, my body, something happened. And everyone had the same witness was that this is great. Everyone should do this. Everyone. The ability to time out, the ability to reset physically is something that is so important for us. 
that we neglect and we run harder, drink more coffee, have more caffeine, do whatever we can to go, go, go. And we wonder why our country's so sick. We wonder why we feel so bad and life feels joyless. And we seek events to make us feel better instead of life itself as being the source of our joy. Instead of the creator who gave it to us as being the source of our joy. Our brains need refreshing too. You know, thinking too much, focusing too much. We live in a world of innumerable distractions. Keeping our eyes focused, resetting our brains and allowing ourselves time to just think or not to refresh. We could all use some emotional recentering. Often we're still feeling the emotion from the previous event and we're building how we react to this next event based off of emotions of the previous event. We never have time to come back to where we need to be, that equilibrium before God. Or worse, we work to distract ourselves from our emotions and the thoughts and traumas that underlie them. Push harder, work harder, work faster. Sitting still forces us to sit before God and to ask ourselves, why am I feeling this way? We don't do it enough. And undoubtedly, Sabbath rest is a gift for spiritual restoration. The Sabbath teaches us to rely on God. We try to make everything right. We try to wring every little bit out of life and it bleeds into the day that we were intended to be with God, to celebrate family, to rest. Instead, we're preparing for the next week, meal planning for the next seven days, doing all of these things that encroach upon that time. It reorders our priorities and roots out idolatry. Why is this so important to me that I'm willing to place it in a time that I feel God is calling me to to spend with him, yet I fill it with these things? What do those things say? You know, work existed before the fall. When God created man, he gave them the, the mission to work, tend the garden, to take dominion over the creation that was made. That sounds like work. But as Tim Keller has pointed out, the meaning of work changes for us. Work in and of itself is not a bad thing. We're blessed with work by God himself, but finding our righteousness, our identity in that work, creating our own garden, we end up evicting God. Looking at the work that we have in the garden as the source of our identity and then do whatever we can to fight to keep it. A time of Sabbath rest before the Lord allows us to refocus our minds on Christ where our true identity lies. Because Christ died for us and saved us and blesses us with his spirit and walks with us and sanctifies us, grows us in holiness, all those other things don't matter. The myriad of objects that we place our faith into, the aspects of our life that we invest with value that really doesn't exist, distract us from the one that matters. Christ, the one from whom all the other aspects of our life take their direction. The principle of Sabbath is so important. The idea of rest as being a gift is so important that it's even part of the agricultural, economic, and social spheres of of the world and of particularly ancient Israel. The land, every seventh year, was to enjoy a Sabbath. A whole period, a year of laying fallow, nothing grew. 
How might that look in our own lives? Maybe I work for six years and take a seventh year off. What do you think? I'm coming up quick. God intended that the Jewish society experience a Sabbath rest by the relinquishing of debts, restoring land that had been taken or borrowed or bartered or whatever every seventh, seven-year period, the 50th year called Jubilee. Can you imagine that? Taking every loan and calling it cleared. Giving all of the property of land that had been taken and giving it back to whom it first was issued to by God. Now, I don't think it's a big surprise that Jubilee was never celebrated by Israel. And it tells us something. Two, observing a periodic Sabbath rest leads to blessing. We are invited by God himself, who has finished his work of creation in us through Christ. There's nothing else that needs to be added. It's not Christ plus. In our lives, there's nothing else that we need to do in order to find our salvation and righteousness outside of Jesus Christ alone. So we can rest from those things and focus our minds and our hearts upon the one who created us. For the Sabbath provides an opportunity for communion with God, self, and others. First communion with God, I mean, how important is that time of getting alone with God and how hard is it for us to do it? The very difficulty in taking time apart, even in the morning and the evening, you know what I'm talking about, those dedicated, we call them devotions, but those dedicated times with the Lord. It's so hard to get out and away with him that it should tell us something. It should not be that hard. Either we have too much happening in our lives or we have too much happening in our hearts. The Sabbath rest is the very thing we are created for to be fellowshipping with God himself. Yet we fill it with other things. We take it as an opportunity to commune with self. We talked about this a little bit. What does it mean to commune with self? It means to come to pass and to come to realize what's actually going on inside. It's an opportunity for all the myriad aspects of who we are as human beings to get on the same page. It allows our brain to think about, why am I feeling this way? It allows our feelings to say, you shouldn't be feeling that way because your brain's saying this. It allows us to recognize what's actually happening. In the face of the myriad distractions of our world, it's so hard to get that sense. And finally, communion with others. The opportunity to fellowship with family or friends. And to celebrate around a table or a cup of coffee. Times of rest, Sabbath rests, do that. Taking a one in seven day of rest is intentionally directed toward God, that is intentionally directed toward God, and our rest in Christ is a sacred thing that promises to bring great joy. Isaiah says it. And I believe, and the Bible seems to bear out, that our observance of a Sabbath rest as a demonstration of our trust in Christ will lead to greater productivity where it matters. Remember, gathering double on the sixth day provided enough for the seventh. Instead, we try to pack everything in, are less productive throughout the week because we say, I can't possibly take a day off. And then we get to day seven, and at the end, we end up being less productive even though we think we have more time. And third, the observance of a Sabbath rest is a matter of the heart. Now, I'm saying the word Sabbath again and again, and all of you may be, or many of you may be thinking Sunday. But it's the idea of what is our heart doing? The idea is, is our heart in this moment 
that matters. This time of rest is a gift to be enjoyed. It's not a burden to be born. It's not a time where we're needing to sacrifice to such a degree that we have lost sight of what God is really offering us in this moment of quiet, in this moment of rest. Isaiah tells us that when we embrace these times with the Lord, when we seek these times of rest and apart from him, that God will become our delight. But it's so easy to fall into legalism and make observing a Sabbath a means of righteousness. What day is it? What day is it not? What can or can I not do on that day? We see it in Isaiah as well, the way that they... Uh, at the time, would rather be doing something else. They observe the Sabbath. They're like, when is it over? So I can go about my business. No, embracing this time of rest with an attitude of wholeheartedness, integrity, and trusting God without hypocrisy and justice, or perhaps most a spirit of inconvenience. I've tried really hard in my family to, we all have, to institute a Sunday nothing day. We go to church, nothing else. What does that mean? We take a nap, we read a book, no electronics, we do all these, you know, we're talking about what our day might look. And your day might look different. There's no right or wrong in this. But is the day unto the Lord? Is our heart turned towards the Lord in this day? Are we embracing the idea of rest that God has given us in that day? I think we've done it twice in eight months. goes to show you how much we have in our life that encroaches upon God's time. Now, maybe Sunday is a work day for me. I don't know. It's always a weird thing for pastors. But I know this, on the two days that we were able to celebrate what we were hoping would be a true Sabbath rest, at the end of the day, we felt different. Something happened. We went to bed. We slept great. You would think we wouldn't be tired. We rested all day. No. God blessed us in our sleep. We had conversations we had never had. We read the Bible together as a family and just kept going and going. This is fun. Don't you want to keep doing this? Yes, we had a family game night. We cooked together and then ate a meal together. We used this book. I'm going to talk about it here. We used a book to almost do like a family liturgy together to try to create a tradition, something. A time with the Lord that centers, that marks each week and our time with him, redirecting our eyes. Determining what a Sabbath rest looks like for you is a matter between you and God. There's a book called Sacred Rhythms by Ruth Haley Barton that has a chapter. It's a great book, but there's a chapter specifically geared towards Sabbath. What does it look like to create a Sabbath day for you and your family? So what that might look like, what might that look like? Some ideas for celebrating a Sabbath rest. Give you a little room to work. First, we take time to worship. If it's a Sunday, come to church. All of you guys get gold stars. All of you who are watching on live stream, you get a gold star too. Come to church. Celebrating Christ and enjoying others is what this day was made for. It's a time of outpouring and recognizing what God has done in our life. Worshiping him, doing the very thing that we are created to do. Two, spend some time alone. A time of solitude, reflection, personal worship maybe. 
If your parents take turns with the kids, let mom have an hour in the bathroom, dad have an hour in the bathroom. Mom, dad, leave your phone out of the bathroom. Having time where you're just sitting and doing nothing else. Be bored. Get bored before God. God wants to do something in your heart. We also spend time with others, a communal meal with family or guests. There's a book called Every Moment Holy by Douglas McKelvey that gives these liturgies for every aspect of our life. Really, it's really cool. I would really commend it to you. Every Moment Holy, there's two volumes. It's like a liturgy for a meal, a liturgy for the death of a loved one, a liturgy for, some of them are like really mundane and that's the point. It's like a liturgy for taking out the trash. There's like, there's all of these ways that you can bring your mind and your heart back to Jesus Christ. A family time, worship time, a prayer time, Bible reading, a game time. Eliminate unnecessary distractions. In our house, that might look like electronics. I don't know what it looks like for you. Social media can, be, can do a great deal to reinforce our false identities, to tell us we should be somebody other than who God has made us. And so then we do a little more meal planning. We work a little harder. We do all of these things to look a little better, to be more prepared for the week so we can get ahead, make more money, get a better house, feel better about ourselves, and then feel worse. Television. When we're watching TV, we're not actually taking rest. The portion of the brain that lights up, the task-oriented portion of the brain, goes red hot when we're watching TV, when we're watching Netflix. We think we're resting Something's happening there. Body's not getting the message because it's continuing to work. Saying no to any work items on a Sunday. Monday's for work or whatever your Sabbath day might be. Take a nap. Such a sweet blessing from God. Ecclesiastes 5 says, Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There's a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches kept by their owner to their own hurt how hard I work, how much I strive. We all strive in order to create enough to feel safe. But sometimes it can come back to hurt us. Sometimes on a Sabbath, there's nothing better than mommy and daddy time, if it's appropriate. Jonathan Edwards, one of the pastors from the 18th century, often called the last Puritan pastor, had four kids born on Sunday. He had 11 kids. Four of them were born on Sunday. And the belief was that whatever day your child was conceived on was the day your child was born on. And so his church had a lot of fun at his expense when his first four kids were all born on Sunday. The Jews say there's an extra blessing associated with mommy and daddy time on Shabbat. There's something special about that. We should be availing ourselves of it every week when appropriate. Now, special note to parents. <laughs> the vision I'm casting probably sounds impractical at best or even impossible with children. So let me point out a few things. Kids crave undivided time with mom and dad together. I wonder how many issues in our kids are born out of our own, our own distraction. Studies in psychology suggest that children need unstructured time to thrive emotionally, physically, mentally, and socially. Unstructured time. That means time that is not planned. 
That means time where you are not going someplace or coming back from someplace. That means playtime. You know, when kids are just imagining. When kids just go outside. I don't know how many times I would be said, just go, just leave. And we would run around the block until the lights came on on the street and we would spend all of our time outside and our brains were developing the entire time. There is something about that that our our nation is losing. Our nation is losing the concept of unstructured playtime. We're trying to schedule our kids to death in order to make them like us, afraid of suffering so we can be most prepared in order to get the best job to prevent more suffering. And in the end, we have a mental health crisis, kids who are anxious, depressed, the suicide rate is up. There's a, everything in an attempt to do for ourselves what God has promised to do for us. We just got to get with them. That's what that Sabbath rest is designed to be with God, to be reordered, to be readjusted, to be recentered upon Him. We overstructure our kids' lives to make it easier to manage them because we're too busy to interact well or to give them the space to be rambunctious. This is mostly true for boys. Oh, if I don't structure his time, he'll be in my hair the whole day. Girls, too, mostly boys. Boys will be in your hair. Girls will be wanting to comb it or something. I don't know. You know, there's something there. I don't know. Playing with our kids, letting them take the lead, and devoting time to just being with them is a beautiful and necessary activity all the time, but especially during these times where everything is checked out. We are at a a time of rest in our family. When was the last time you got on the ground and played with your kids, Dad? your children, not your grown adult kids. That's fun too, though. Even adults need unstructured playtime. What would unstructured playtime in the presence of your heavenly father look like? On the ground, imagining. Creating a new song. I often think about kids when they do that little babble song where they create a song that doesn't make any sense and it's just la la la. I wonder if that's what God had in mind, said, sing unto the Lord a new song. What is the outpouring of our heart with our Father and our unstructured time where it's just us and Him playing? Think about that. So in conclusion... We can never lose sight of the fact that our Sabbath rest, our times apart with God, are a gift. Observing a periodic Sabbath, times out with the Lord, will lead to blessing if we place our trust and have the right heart. And that's finally the observance of a Sabbath rest as a matter of the heart. Now, what God is asking you to do today is not easy. There will be sacrifices that you have to make, I am certain. That is the Christian life. It's a life of sacrifice unto the Lord because of the great sacrifice that was made for us. It requires trust and effort to find our identity in Christ alone and nothing else which demands our attention. But God is inviting you to something better. It'll be worth it. God is saying, put that down, which is, this is better. No matter how we think, no matter how it might turn out, God wants you with him. Find the time. Take the time. Embrace the time and enjoy the time. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that you would forgive us of our distraction and our refusal to take rest the way that you've created us to do for the purpose of what you've created us for, fellowship, worship, and celebration with you. We pray, Lord, that you would give us a discernment of our own lives and the areas and the timing and places that you're calling us to, things and times that you've declared holy for us. We pray, Lord, that you would show us what needs to go in our life, what needs to be rescheduled, what needs to be reordered that we might get alone and have unstructured playtime with you. We pray, Lord, that you would open our minds during these times to see where are we really placing our identity? What are we really placing value in? And Lord, may we heed your call to come and rest, the gift that we find ultimately in Christ. And it's in his name we pray, amen. Pastor Adam here. Well, I want to thank you for tuning in to Grace Bible Church, and I would love to hear what you thought of today's program or of ways that we can be praying for you and with you. So check us out on social media at GBCL. Also, if you would like to support our ministry, you can give securely at our website at www.gbclm.org. Now remember, God loves you, and so do we.